Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We do come this morning and ask that you would tune our ears to your word, that you would alert our minds to understand, and that you would soften our hearts so that we may believe. For I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more in the lives of your people. Please move me out of the way. Please be the only voice that these, your people, hear and obey. And we pray, God, that you alone will be glorified. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27. So the band of soldiers and their captain... And the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. Heard me what I said to them. They know what I have said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I said, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself with the standing and warming himself, so that they said to him, "You are not one of his disciples, are you?" He denied it and said, "I am not." One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, "Did I not see you in the garden with him?" Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is God's word. Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. You may be seated this morning. In 
chapter 17. By the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit's inspired penmen, we were given a glimpse into the Holy of Holies. For it is in that glorious chapter, the 17th chapter, that we were given a picture of the deep relationship between the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was, and always will be, the Son's desire to glorify the Father. He says in John 17:2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The great heart concern of the Son was to glorify the Father. And it is likewise the great heart concern of the Father to glorify the Son. And it is the great work of the Holy Spirit to so work in the hearts of God's beloved for loved. So that he too may glorify the Father and the Son. This is the great coherence of the Godhead. In that chapter, the 17th chapter, we were given insight into the great love that the Father has for His own. For this is why He has sent His Son. So that through His Son, we might know just how wide, how high, and how deep is the Father's love for His people. And we may find ourselves responding to that glorious chapter, that 17th chapter, and rightly I might add, we might find ourselves responding like Peter in Matthew 17, who upon seeing the revealed glory of Christ, desired to make an abode on that mount of transfiguration and remain there. And once again, it is right, it is good that we should desire to be where our Lord is. It is perfectly appropriate that we desire to be removed from this world, from this flesh, and from the devil. And to be transferred from this world to glory, where our relationship with Christ will be enjoyed perfectly where our communion with Christ will be will not be marred by sin or corrupted by the flesh, but it will be perfectly experienced for eternity. That is what we desire. It is right to long for those things. It is right to, to groan after these things. It is moments like these that I believe Paul was referring to when he said in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. These groans were expressed by Jesus in His human soul. Groaned in the garden with sorrow even to the point of death. He said, My Father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. Amen. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Know the grace of God in our times of weakness. The grace of God in, in our times of groaning. The grace of God in our times when we do not know what to pray or how to pray. The Spirit of God who lives on the inside of us, dwells or lives on the inside of us, prays on our behalf when we do not know what to pray. And while our Lord prays, 
his disciples sleep. There is one disciple in particular that has captured the attention of our Lord. Matthew twenty six forty, And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why, Peter? Of the three disciples who had entered the garden with Jesus and entered even into a deeper place with Jesus. Why just Peter? It was not only because Peter was seen as the leader among the disciples, but because Peter himself was on the brink of experiencing one of the, if not the, greatest trial of his life. As was so wonderfully displayed for us last week by our brother Isaiah, Christ, the second Adam, crossed over the bloody brook Kidron that ran red with the blood of bulls and goats and lambs offered for the atonement of sins from the temple into the brook. While our great high priest king enters the Garden of Gethsemane to accomplish what no other high priest could ever accomplish, our atonement and our redemption. While in that garden, our Lord comes face to face with the son of destruction, the traitor, Judas Iscariot. He who once followed Jesus and called him Rabbi is now the one who is leading a band of soldiers to arrest him. And they are calling him a blasphemer. The majestic power of Christ is put on display as he with two simple words, ego in me, I am causes a band of some 300 to 600 men, warriors, as was pointed out last week, to draw back and fall to the ground. They are not in control. Christ, the Sovereign One, is in control. And that which is being pursued by sinful men was first ordained by Holy God, meaning the actions of these men were a part of the eternal plan of God. Our Lord protects His disciples, preventing them from their death and from their arrest. And it is here where we pick up the story. I have just three points for you this morning. Number one, wicked men used for holy purposes of God. Wicked men used for the holy purposes of God. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And then verse 24. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. When you read the Synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you read the Gospel of John, you will notice that there are many differences between the Synoptics and between the Gospel of John. These verses that we have just read, verses 12 through 14, are an example of one of those differences between the Synoptics and the Gospel of John. We are thankful that the Holy Spirit of God has so moved upon each, each of the writers of the Holy Spirit of the Gospels 
that he has given us all that is necessary in order for us to have a comprehensive understanding of what he desired us to know. With that said, we are told that the Lord is brought first to Annas. When you read and study scripture, you should always ask yourself questions like, Who is Annas? And today is no different. Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas held the position of high priest from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15. In the Old Testament, the position of high priest was one of great honor and great responsibility. Those who have been called to the ministry of high priest were set apart both by God in position and in the conduct of their lives. The high priest would declare to the people the will of God. He would offer a sin offering for the sins of the whole congregation. And his most important duty was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement, which in our story right now is rapidly approaching. Yet, after invasions and after being ruled by other nations, the office of the high priest had lost its dignity. It had lost its honor. It had lost its luster. The high priest became the individual who reached that position through bribery or one that was specifically chosen by that pagan nation that ruled Israel so that they could control the people of Israel through the high priest. They were the puppet of the ruling power, the puppet of the ones who were in control. And Annas was such a man. He worked his way up through the ranks of the crooked rabbinical system and also gained favor among the Romans. So he was eventually chosen to be the ruler of the people of Israel on behalf of the Romans. He can best be described as ruthless, merciless, shrewd, and greedy. He was, if you will, the godfather of that day. He was, if you will, the Vito Corleone of that day. And he had his hands in everyone's pockets. Yet scripture clearly informs us that Caiaphas was the high priest that year and not Annas. So why was Jesus first taken to Annas? Because even though Annas had not held the position of high priest for over 15 years, he was still seen as a ruling authority among the people of Israel. He was still seen as the Godfather. And so it happened that the person who was holding position at that particular time was his son-in-law. His son-in-law apparently entered the family business. In fact... Five of the sons of Annas had held the position of high priest during the 15-year hiatus where Annas did not hold the position. Annas was controlling Israel with that position of high priest. They had established themselves as the most powerful family in all of Israel. But that only answers half of the question. Why take Jesus to Annas? John chapter 2, verse number 14, gives us the answer. Jesus does what in John 2, 14? Jesus chases money changers out of the temple. 
when people came into the temple to bring sacrifices, it was imperative that they bring sacrifices that were without spot or blemish. And there were inspectors. Before they could offer these sacrifices, there were inspectors who would inspect their sacrifice to see whether or not it was acceptable. If the inspector deemed the sacrifice unacceptable, the person would have to go outside and buy another sacrifice. Outside the temple, you could buy two doves for, say, 25 cents each. Inside the temple, those doves will cost you $3 each. Much like an airport, or much like an amusement park. The water on the outside is a dollar. Water on the inside is sometimes three or four. It's a racket that they have perfected. You can't bring water in, but you can buy our water for twice the price. If you came in with two 25-cent doves, the inspectors would check them and rule them being unblemished. Why? So that they could send them out to the most convenient place to buy an acceptable sacrifice, the temple courts. No one wanted to deal with the hassle of going all the way back out the temple, down the hill, back into the marketplace, in order to buy another sacrifice. The person would find it most expedient to purchase what they needed from those who were selling right there in the temple courts. They called those, those areas, those, those selling markets, they called them bazaars. It was a market. And the bazaars actually had a name. The name of those bazaars was the bazaars of Annas. Or the market of Annas. Annas was the one who established the market. It was Annas who trained the inspectors and taught them what to rule acceptable and what to rule unacceptable. This was just one of the many rackets that Annas was running as the godfather of Israel at that time. Now, why is this worth mentioning? Because in chapter 2, Jesus has come into the temple and what has he done? Our Lord has exposed the racket of Annas. Not once, but Matthew 21 records for us a second cleansing of the temple towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And now, Jesus is captured. And the first person who wants to hold court with Jesus is the Godfather himself, Annas. Jesus hit Annas where it hurts. He exposed his racket and cost him, no doubt, a tremendous amount of money. He hit him in the pocket. And now Annas believes that he has the opportunity to return the favor by devising a plan to have him murdered by the Romans, who Annas was very much friends with. Why go to such great lengths to explain all of these details? Well, first, there's much more in those two verses than meets the eye. But secondly, it is to expose the hard heart of wicked men. They had one desire, to destroy the Holy One of God, to silence the voice of the Son of God, so that they may continue in their sinful ways. But little do they know, little do they know, little do the Pharaohs know, little do the Neros, the Bloody Marys, the Napoleons, the Hitlers, little do they know that they are but saws in the hands of God, that they are but axes in the hands of God, that they are but hammers in the, in the hands of God to do His work and to carry out the building up of His church. Though they are least in the least unaware, they are mere puppets in the hand of the Sovereign Lord. 
who gives them freedom to sin, but works all things, even their sin, together for good, for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Annas and Caiaphas believe that they are gaining revenge, but little do they know that they are standing before the true high priest king who has come to accomplish what they, year after year, unsuccessfully attempted to accomplish. He attempted or he accomplished our once-for-all-time atonement, our once-for-all-time redemption, our once-for-all-time forgiveness and salvation through his high priestly work. And little did they know that God would use their sinful act, an act that they thought, an act that came out of the depravity of their soul, an act that they freely chose, that God would use that act to set forth the accomplishment of righteous purposes of God. Dear one, do not fret when we see the tides of culture changing. As if God has somehow lost control. Or as as if he has somehow lost grip of his universe. Do not fret. Do not fret when we see the seats of power change from bad to worse. As if God did not foresee these changes. No. Do not fear. Our God is ever present. Our God is ever sovereign. He is always and ever orchestrating all of His story to that final day when, as the Apostle Paul encouraged in Philippians 2, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All eternity, all history is leading to that moment. So fear not when it seems like things are spiraling out of control. His disciples ran. They hid. And little did they know that this was all a part of God's plan. Secondly, the amazing weakness that may be found in a true disciple. The amazing weakness that may be found in a true disciple. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Jesus stood out, or but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants of the high priest made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of a man of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Peter and another unnamed disciple followed Jesus. 
the unnamed, the unnamed disciple is most likely the author of this book, the Apostle John. He was most likely known to the high priest because of his father Zebedee's fishing business. And it is possible that John himself often delivered fish to the high priest, which is why he was able to get in and out unscathed. Peter waited outside as John attempted to push his weight around in order to get Peter inside as well. John spoke of a servant girl in order to, or spoke to a servant girl in order to bring Peter inside. And the servant girl has one question for Peter. You also are not this man's disciple, are you? Peter followed his master. He remained at a distance. Love made him too ashamed to run away and hide, but at the same time, cowardice made him too afraid to show his true colors as a disciple. Peter is somewhere in the middle. And brothers and sisters, that is often the worst place that you can be. Jesus told the church in Revelation, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. I wish that you were one or the other, but if you don't turn from your sin, Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. In disgust of your lack of heat or your persistent coldness, you're just in the middle. And now Peter stands outside and he is asked a simple question by a servant girl. You are not one of these, this man's disciples as well, are you? Peter, all that you've confessed, all that you've believed, will now be displayed by one simple answer. What will it be, Peter? What answer will you give? What will you say? The question is not a threatening question. It is a question that is posed in the negative, of course. You are not, are you? But the question has not come from a soldier. The question has not come from a religious leader. The question comes from a lonely servant girl. The possibility of harm or threat is absent at this moment. And still, the courage of Peter breaks down. The rock, if you will, shatters to pieces. He answers with a direct lie in fear. I am not. Oh, how little we know our hearts, brothers and sisters. Twelve hours earlier, Peter would have boldly proclaimed that the lie that he just told and the denial of his Lord was completely and utterly impossible for him to commit. And now, the rock has shattered to pieces in front of a lowly servant girl. All because of a lowly servant girl, afraid and ashamed. Why? This girl asked this question is unknown, but the answer is obvious. Peter is in a trial. Peter is under a trial, and she assumes what she, she sees John and knows that John is also a disciple, and assumes that Peter is with him and also a disciple. You also are not this man's disciple, are you? You aren't like John, are you? You don't follow Christ as well, do you? You don't believe in the Bible as well, do you? 
You aren't a member of, of a church, especially that church, as well, are you? You aren't reformed as well, are you? Or, you don't also believe that homosexuality is a sin, do you? You don't also believe that abortion is wrong, do you? You don't also deny evolution and believe that we were somehow created by God, do you? And brothers and sisters, what will you say? What will your response be when you are questioned? Often the question will not come from those rulers and authorities, but from people who have no place of honor or no place of prestige. Often the question will come from a friend, a co-worker, or even a complete stranger. And what will you say? Will you make excuses? Will you try to, to remove the sting from God's perfect, inspired word? The world will constantly question your faith. The world, will, the world will constantly ask you to give an account for why you believe what you believe. And is it not ironic that of all of the people that God could use, He used Peter to say to us this, In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. The one who denied, the one who refused to speak the truth and to give an answer, later encourages, always be prepared. Always be ready. And is he not speaking from experience? This was the first denial. But Peter was not done. He gathers around the service of the officers who are warming themselves around a charcoal fire. And as they are standing near that charcoal fire, Peter again is recognized as being one of Christ's followers. Verse 25, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. But then the relative of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, whose ear was cut off by Peter, said, did I not see you in the garden? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Three denials, all predicted by our Lord, all warned to Peter. After being self-confident, he should have been humble. After sleeping, he should have been praying. He could have not done a more foolish thing than to congregate around a charcoal fire and place himself within arm's length of temptation. And what a lesson that we must learn when we are weak. There is no prayer that is more useful and no prayer that is more familiar than, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This fall of Peter, it happens after receiving the Lord's Supper. This fall of Peter happens after hearing the most touching prayer that any human being has ever heard. This fall of Peter happens after correction from our Lord in the garden to watch and pray, and yet still, after all of those things, the failure of Peter still occurs. Our Lord was not the only one who was on trial that night. Is this not also the case for our lives and with our walks with Christ? Do we not also find ourselves in the midst of a loving church, Seated under sound biblical doctrine, 
encouraged each week by the means of grace at the Lord's table. And still, in spite of all of those benefits provided for us, we still fall and deny Christ. There are some who still walk away from this church. Loving people, sound doctrine, means of grace all over the place and still will turn and walk away. I was blessed the other day laying down after our breakfast, which caused me to lay down, uh, to be listening to a sermon by John MacArthur in which he said, I've been at my church since 1969. And in those years, I have... Consistently and constantly seeing people come and go. Come and go. Those who sit there and you think that they're loving Christ and wanting Christ, only to find them sometime later turning and falling away. Oh, what an encouragement it was for me to hear that from John MacArthur. That we are not some weird church that people refuse to stay at and will eventually just pass on. But it happens to all churches because people fall. And some fall and stay down. And some fall and get back up. This fall of Peter is intended to be a lesson to the whole church of Christ. It is recorded for our learning that we be kept from such a bitter fall. That we ask the Lord to safeguard us against our own pride and our own self-confidence. We, we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking, I can do this and it'll be fine. I can indulge in this and it'll be fine. And even foolishly finding passages in Scripture that will excuse some of our sinful actions as if this is okay because this says this. When we know we have no place near any of those things or no business near any of those things because they will cause us to fall and not get back up. Let this be a safeguard to to us. Those who boast of our confidence in ourselves, let us be ever weary of the fall of Peter. And if he fell, we too will and could fall. We must ask the Lord to alert our soul to keep us from the dangerous temptations of even laziness. Peter slept when he should have been praying. If Peter would have watched and prayed rather than falling asleep, he may have found grace to help him in time of need. But a little folding of the hands, a little sleeping, a little slumbering. Oh, and it will be a tragic fall for us. We must pray that our Lord keeps us from fearing the face of man who we can see more than fearing the eye of God who we cannot see. As our Lord warns, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10.28 These things are written, brothers and sisters, for our admonition. And let us remember to watch and pray that we might not fall into temptation because the Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh... Oh, the flesh is so weak. After all this, we leave this passage with comfort. The same comfort and encouragement that was given to Peter. And you may sit there and say, what comfort? What encouragement could we ever find from this denial? It's there. Do you see it? 
It is at, it is used as at the end, but it is used as a, a bitter warning, but a glorious alarm. It is the sound of a rooster crowing. You remember that? What did Jesus say to Peter after Peter said, I will lay down my life for you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. John thirteen thirty eight. At the end of Peter's last denial, listen, something very normal, something that happens at my mom's house every morning, something very normal took place. According to everyone's ear, it was a very normal occurrence. It was the sound of a rooster crowing. It was normal to everyone's ear. It was a common occurrence to everyone's ear, everyone except Peter. For everyone else, it was the sound of a male rooster crowing. But for Peter, for Peter, it was it was a clap of lightning and a merciful peal of thunder. It was a gracious clap of lightning and a merciful peal of thunder that the power of the Holy Spirit awoke his soul to the reality of his sin. When they say, how is that encouraging? What if Peter only heard what everyone else heard? The normal occurrence of a rooster crowing. He like everyone else, would have paid absolutely no attention to it. He would have not given it a second thought, but because he belonged to Christ, because he was one of the sheep of Christ, that Christ promised would never be lost. The sound of the rooster was an alarm of the Holy Spirit that called this man, Peter, to repent of his sins. And repent he did. He went out bitterly. Or he went out and wept bitterly. Peter's weeping did not result in suicide, though. Rather, it resulted in Peter returning to the brothers. And listen, and ultimately, returning to another charcoal fire. Incidentally, there are only two charcoal fires in all of the scriptures. One at Peter's denial, and the other at Peter's restoration where the Lord restores Peter at breakfast before that charcoal fire. Brothers and sisters, we have a merciful, pitiful high priest who pities us in our weaknesses. We have a high priest who can and was touched with the feelings of our own infirmities and he will not break the bruised reed. Be encouraged because of the gracious clap of thunder and the merciful peal of, of lightning reverse that has also been heard in your soul. You too have heard that sound. You too, if you will, have heard the sound of the rooster crowing in your soul. And you too have been awakened by the Spirit of God to the grace that has been offered to you so that you can also turn and repent of your sins and be saved. You have not heard the gospel. The rooster, if you will. Maybe that's not so good, but either way, you have not heard the gospel and ignored it. You have, by the grace of God, heard the gospel and responded. Somebody turn the air on. Please. And this morning, if you hear that alarm, do not ignore it. This morning, turn from your sins if you hear the sound of the Holy Spirit calling you to Himself. And to Christ. And if you do, 
you will find Him to be a merciful Savior who will give you grace in spite of your fall. Thank God that we see in Peter a true disciple who according to history was willing to walk the same path of Christ to the very end of his life. And this is also a man who denied him. There is room for us because there is room for Peter. Because we, like Peter, have often denied him and failed him. And if there is room for Peter, then there is room for you. Third and last, the amazing condescension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temples where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. They know what I have said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I, if what I have said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I have said is right, why did you strike me? (laughs) We see the Son of God taken prisoner and led away like a sheep before the slaughter, if you will, to be arraigned before wicked and unjust judges where he will be insulted, beaten and treated with contempt. And we stand in awe of our Lord who yielded himself to be an unresisting prisoner who needed only to roll his deliverance and at once his deliverance would be a reality. At once he would be set free. Our Lord only needed to command the confusion of his enemies and they would instantly be confounded by his power. The Lord Jesus knew full well that Annas and Caiaphas and their companions would one day stand before his judgment seat and that they would receive an eternal sentence from the true judge. All these things our Lord knew. And yet he condescended. He submitted himself to be treated as a common criminal and did not for one moment resist. (laughs) The high priest is referenced as Annas. He's not the high priest. But he was given the respect of the title just as former presidents are given the respect of the title even though they do not hold the position. Annas begins to question Jesus concerning his disciples and his teaching. But Jesus will have none of the nonsense of Annas. He will not give up any information about his disciples for he will keep them to the very end. And he need not say anything concerning his teachings because he has spoken openly to the world. He has not spoken in secret. And because of his honesty, our Lord is struck in the face, perhaps with the, the attempts in attempts to try to gain favor from Annas by one of the servants. And notice the response of our Lord. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why did you strike me? In reading this, one thing I noticed was in all of the scriptures. 
There was only one person who never apologized. There was only one person who never repented. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus never said he was sorry for anything. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus and he never said sorry because he never did anything wrong? He has never apologized for anything. Everything that proceeds from his mouth is truthful. He only knows how to speak the truth. He speaks the truth that proceeded from his father. John twelve forty nine. I have spoken not on my own authority. But the Father who has sent me himself give, has given me the commandment what to say and what to speak. If I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. John 5.31 A man who only spoke truth was full of grace and truth who sought to bring glory to God would soon be tried as a liar and a blasphemer. He who created the Sabbath and fulfilled all of the law would be accused of breaking the Sabbath and being a lawbreaker. And never let us forget that this is the peculiar beauty of Christ's sufferings. When we read the wondrous story of his cross and his passion, he was led away captive and dragged before the high priest's bar, not because he was not able to help himself, but because he had set his whole heart on saving sinners by bearing their sins through being treated as a sinner. He was punished in our place. He was a willing prisoner that we might be set free. He was willingly arraigned and condemned that we might be absolved and declared innocent. He suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God in peace. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Is there any doctrine of the gospel which needs to be clearly known than this one? The doctrine of Christ's voluntary, voluntary substitution. He suffered and died willingly, unresisting, unyielding, because he knew that he would become our substitute. And by his substitution, he would purchase our salvation. Yes. 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 It is through Christ's captivity that we are set free. Amen. Amen. And we are getting a glimpse now of Christ taking that captivity yes. for your and my sake. Hmm. He will in the next chapter cry out, It is is finished. Let us stand.